Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and Nerdette is a show where we talk to your favorite or soon-to-be favorite people, sometimes about maybe your not-so-favorite subjects. And today, we are talking about... Germs. And specifically how they seem like they just keep going around the office. Which I feel like is especially ironic today of all days because I am sitting here at work with a sore throat. But so it goes. So what did we do? We found a flu expert who just happens to live here in Chicago and we invited her down to our studios. I am standing in the middle of a hallway. Sorry, guys. Excuse us. I'm standing in the middle of WBEZ's open office newsroom. We're about to walk in and I'm here with our guest, Sarah Kobe. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Greta. Okay, so Sarah is an evolutionary microbiologist. Is that usually how you describe yourself? That's one of the ways. That's a totally (laughs) adequate way. (laughs) Okay, we'll talk about some of the other ways, too. But essentially, what that means is that she studies how viruses and germs evolve to keep making us sick. To be clear, I want to say first off, I know you're not actually a medical doctor, and I'm very well aware that it's also not your job to walk through workspaces and talk about what looks unhealthy. But... That said, looking around, is there anything you notice right off the bat about how this layout could affect the spread of germs? Yeah, I mean, I'm still having thoughts here. First, this kind of is um, reminding me of a lot of studies that have looked at the transmission of different pathogens in daycare centers and schools and classrooms. And there, there's usually a pretty reliable relationship between the number of kids in a room and the prevalence of, you know, almost any pathogen you want to look at. So, um, Because, yeah, we're looking in this room. I mean, there's got to be, what, at least 20 people kind of spread out throughout this space? Yeah, and I don't see, like, a lot of, um, you know, like, kind of disgusting, like, nose-hand, you know, contact here, which is, (laughs) like, a total plus. Oh, so you're, like, immediately looking at the behavior of the people in this room. Um, That's part of it. But, you know, (laughs) it, it also matters just that there are a lot of people who are breathing the same air. What are things that people should try to do in spaces like this to not spread their own germs around? I think the most important one is that people should not enter them if they are symptomatic. Yeah. You know, so mostly people should not present to work if they have a runny nose or even if their nose has stopped running but they've got a fever or something. I mean, so they just mostly shouldn't interact with other people. I think that is probably the single biggest thing that we could do to reduce the incidence of a lot of diseases is just, like, self-quarantine. Unless you're not washing your hands after using the bathroom and also, like, not inserting your fingers into your nose, then then I think you're going to be okay. (laughs) Well, that's good to know, I think, right? Can we be optimistic about those things? (laughs) 
Okay, so we're back in our typical recording studio with Sarah Kobe, and Sarah runs a lab at the University of Chicago, like it's named after her and everything. And that's where she and a team of people are studying how the flu virus grows and changes. But it's less about Petri dishes and more about like data and spreadsheets and mathematical modeling on computers. But it's fair to say it's still a lot of thinking about germs, which has me wondering, Sarah, like, do you think you keep a higher level of personal sanitation because you're just thinking about germs all the time? I'm really conflicted about this because I'm thinking about it all the time. Are you? Yeah. And trying not to look like I'm thinking about it all the time. So uh, <laughs> I I love kids, but I, um, I'm always a little, I'm always a little anxious if I'm around children in the winter. Um, yeah, and uh, so I, I can't stop thinking about it. Have you established like a routine around? kind of like mitigating your exposure to this stuff because you know how it's transmitted and what's going on so well? Yeah. So I think of it not just as mitigating my exposure, but, you know, also actually reducing the risk for everybody else in the population. Oh, that's beautiful. Because, yeah. Because, uh, yeah. So obviously when you wash your hands, if you happen to have pathogens on your hands and, you know, you're reducing your own risk, but then you're also preventing those pathogens from being spread to other people, you know, either directly or like through your infection. And uh, and it's, it's because of people... It's because of people like us you know, <laughs> who have good hygiene you know, that our population is not sustaining a lot of these really ugly fecal oral pathogens. Wow. I don't know why I like, keep talking about fecal oral pathogens, but well, they're like— I mean, a, that's the whole thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so really, like, you know, we are preventing a lot of these things from gaining a foothold. And I think that's important. That's so, nice. Yeah. So we're the heroes. Yeah. The, the obsessive ones. Yeah. Our producer, Justin, once told me this terrifying anecdote that I can't quite remember, but it essentially involved, like, this image of, like, a horrible, gross sneeze cloud that just, like, sits in the air after a person sneezes. Is that real, and how long does it last? It's definitely real. (laughs) And it's a very popular slide for (laughs) presentations (laughs) in my field. Uh, And... Uh, it's going to last for probably a couple hours, uh, and the bigger droplets are n- going to fall to the floor faster, uh, and then the smaller ones are going to stay suspended for longer. And there is a lot of debate right now over you know, whether more transmission is happening from the big droplets or the really small droplets. Uh, yeah. What if we sneezed under our desks? That might be an improvement, provided you don't have like a space heater under there. <laughs> oh, no. You're good at thinking about all <laughs> about worrying factors. about all the possibilities. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I heat those up. That'll go really well. That's hilarious. Okay, so you mentioned when we were out in the newsroom that one of the most important things people can do to keep disease from spreading, especially in workplaces, is to just not come to work when you're sick. Right. Which is very good advice, and it's something that I love guilt tripping my friends who are workaholics mm-hmm. here about. Um, but say that I'm not sick, mm-hmm. but I don't want to get sick. Are there things that I as a person could do to avoid like or not do in a workplace to, you know, just like make sure that I'm staying as unexposed as possible? Uh, yeah. Well, the first thing would be to avoid 
other people as much as possible. <laughs> and then the next thing is to avoid sick people if you can't avoid all people. Uh-huh. Um, and then after that, really, it's get vaccinated. Um, yeah. And huh. vaccines aren't going to protect us from everything that feels like the flu, but they will protect us to a large extent against the flu and you know, lots of other things that are even worse. And when you say avoid sick people at work, like don't have meetings with them. Yeah. Encourage them to get over their presenteeism or whatever it's called. <laughs> so, yeah, just don't don't have meetings with them. Or I mean, what I do when I'm sick most of the time is I just try to Skype in. You know, to yeah, meetings. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you feel well enough to do stuff, just work from home. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's good advice. Yeah, I think it's a problem when people think that what they have is so mild that it's okay if, you know, they maybe give it to one or two other people because what feels like a mild disease to you could actually be something that's very severe to other people. Yeah, that's good advice. I just want to say this one more time. Sickos, if you're sick, don't go to work. After the break, you know, the flu is even like one of the better studied pathogens right now. I just now. want to point out that you just touched your nose, but it was kind of with your wrist. It was with the back of my yep. hand. Okay. You're listening to Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Why is it important to study something like the flu? Well, it's a, I mean, so just speaking as like a human being who cares about other human beings yeah. as a source of massive suffering. Um, and uh, speaking more as like a scientist, someone in ecology and evolution, uh, again, we have this really fantastic interplay of, you know, a viral evolution and then evolution of the immune response. And this really is like evolution, just in the same sense that viruses evolve, like our immune systems are evolving to keep up with them. And so, I mean, just understanding the limits to predicting evolution is like, a, I think, just a fundamentally hot question. And then, you know, also the epidemic dynamics are pretty darn interesting. Yeah, and that's yeah. like classical ecology, you know, how is the population abundance changing in time and what's driving it seasonally? And, you know, how are these viruses spreading around the world? So there are a lot of reasons to study flu. That's crazy. I never really thought of, I don't know, I think usually when we're talking about evolution, we're talking about it over the course of, you know, tens of thousands of years. Right, right. And so it's really interesting to think about each and every one of us, our immune systems evolving to keep up fighting against these viruses all the time. Yeah, yeah. It was something I didn't appreciate until my early 30s, I suppose. <laughs> um, and I wish I had learned about it in high school, you know, because you're right, like we've got, you know, the B cells, which are the things that make the antibodies, you know, their generation time, you know, when they're responding to like a vaccine or an infection, it's eight to 12 hours and they're mutating during that time, you know, to basically like learn how to bind to the virus better. Yeah. Like that's so sophisticated it and crazy. So cool. It is so sophisticated. And I don't think it's a system that's been optimized. And I think sometimes it fails. And like, I, that's the other thing that yeah. I think is going to be breaking open in the next five to 10 years is predicting that evolution on a much finer scale. Because I think it's central to the development of, you know, really effective vaccines against flu, HIV and other other bugs. You talked a little bit about how the data can be problematic, which I think is fascinating, yeah. right? Because, I mean, how do you 
you're relying on people going to the doctor in reported cases, essentially, exactly. right? Like if I get the flu yeah. and I stay home and cry about it for four days, y'all don't know that. It's tragic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a loss to science. Um, no, but this is a real issue with studying the flu. And, you know, the flu is even like one of the better studied pathogens right I just now. want to point out that you just touched your nose, but it was kind of with your wrist. It was with the back of my yep. hand okay. a little bit. Sorry. Yeah. No, just... no, no, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. And, and, and I'll just know that you backed away slightly. Um, <laughs> I didn't even mean to do that. No, it's, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> I'll scoot closer just um, to make up for it. It's all right. Yeah. So surveillance is, um, uh, it could be a lot better. You know, um, it's performed mostly by the CDC, aggregating a lot of data from like the county and state level. Uh, and so, right, it's people who are sick enough to go to the doctor and, and who are diagnosed with flu. And most, the vast majority of people who have the flu do not go to the doctor. Right. And uh, so, and obviously people have different tendencies, you know, to go to the doctor if they're sick anyway. I mean, right. in different populations, different age groups. So, um, Well, and just accessibility is a huge exactly. issue. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So... We are dealing with um, with data that have basically, we'd say, like a lot of confounders, you know, yeah. and like a lot of biases in them. And that makes analysis hard. Do you daydream about a solution to that problem? Oh, my God. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> what would it be? Yeah, I mean, so any sort of like systematic randomized surveillance would be amazing. So if we could track a population, and we don't have to sample everybody perfectly, but if we just sample them, you know, regardless of symptoms, because, again, a lot of flu actually presents like a cold, hmm. Um you know, and we sequence those viruses and then, you know, we carefully record symptoms. I mean, that sort of thing done at a high scale would be absolutely fantastic. And then to understand how the vaccine works, ideally, that would be, you know, what we'd call a randomized clinical trial and that we'd randomize the vaccine to different people. Um, because What do you mean by randomize the vaccine? So like some people would get it, some people would Exactly. You just like flip a coin and you Whoa. decide who's in the, you know, like who's in the control group. And That's who is super it. unethical though, right? Well, it's a, it would be considered unethical in the United States and places where the vaccine is standard of care. Uh -huh. And, you know, it's only really like the last 10 years when the vaccine's been so widely recommended. So this sure. is the sort of thing that could have could have been done, you know, before. <laughs> um, but uh, Anyway, so but that would help us resolve just like a lot of um, questions about how effective the flu vaccine really is, just because, you know, it's the same people who tend to get vaccinated season after season. And that also is kind of introducing like these problems that we don't know how to adjust for. Sure. Yeah. Well, and what usually you get a percent effective rate each year, right, with the vaccine? Yeah. Yeah. So they're basically telling you your relative risk of showing up as a medically attended case. Uh -huh. So that's, again, like presenting to the doctor. It's not telling you the rate of reduction of like cold-like symptoms, you know, wow, and that sort of thing. That's really interesting. Yeah. And some years it's much better than other years. Yeah. That's definitely true. And the vaccine, you know, protects against different strains of flu, and it's generally uh, more effective against some strains than other strains. I just want you, dear listeners, to know that I did get a flu shot this year. I actually also got a tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis vaccine this year because I've been hanging out with a lot of newborn babies. And one of my mom friends was like, hey, make sure you don't give my kid whooping cough or whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. I can totally do that. I also wrote down a list of things that I do when I am feeling immune compromised. But I am not a medical doctor. I am not even remotely a medical professional. I talk to people about science, but that is the extent of my scientific abilities. I have a master's degree in journalism. 
I'm still paying for it. There are these weird pills I like to take. They're called Cordyseng. I have also heard that vitamin D is very helpful. There are also some really weird pills that my mom really likes. They're called Ultimate Immunity. They are the size of horse pills, and they taste a lot like garlic. Don't take those on an empty stomach. I've heard L-lysine is also super useful. My college roommate, Anne, who is a nurse, recommends elderflower syrup. You can find that at the grocery store. Sometimes a saltwater gargle is very useful, just like some salt and some warm water, you know, just gargle that. Sinus rinse, also really good, also involving salt water. I've heard that you shouldn't use tap water for that because of like brain amoebas, but I use tap water. So here we are. Throat coat tea, also very good. You could even make your own tea with like some honey and ginger and lemon juice. And you know, you could even add some apple cider vinegar if you're feeling sassy. That's all I got. The show is produced by myself, Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our co-creator is Trisha Bobita, and our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Nerdette is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. It's also super extra awesome, helpful if you leave us some stars on Apple Podcasts. Many thanks to Fairbanks or Bust for the review. Good luck on your thesis and don't worry equinox is right around the corner you can also find us on twitter and instagram and facebook we are at nerd at podcast we have a newsletter i bet you're gonna like it justin's gonna put in a real cool link about some sort of like weird time shift planetary outer space big bang situation i'm gonna put in a recipe for granola so either way i think you're gonna like it a lot our theme music is by poddington bear do your homework vaccinate your pets and sneeze under the desk and wash your hands. That is my advice to you, good people of Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.